Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl, and it is Friday, May 28th. On today's show, how injuries play a large role in the playoffs and how they are drastically affecting the Suns-Lakers series. Before we get to that, I have a request of you, the listener, and the viewer. We're getting ramped up with this show, uh, and there's a lot of exciting things coming down the chute with No Baller. And because of this, we want to be in front of more people. Uh, If you enjoy this show in any way, shape, or form, I would ask that you share it with anyone in your life who enjoys sports. I'm very confident that if people who like sports listen to this or watch this, they will enjoy it. Uh, And so the more that we can spread this out and and get bigger and start to do better things, the better it's going to be for all of this. So if you have anyone in your life that you think this show would be interesting to, please share. Uh, It would be great help to me, to Weston, my producer, and it would be a great help as, as we try to flush this thing out. So that's my request for today. Now, on to the gambling tidbit as to why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night I had an awesome, awesome, awesome cover. A great reminder as to why I love the emotional rush that comes with gambling. I bet over 227 and a half points in the Denver-Portland Game 3. And in the first half, it looks like it is going to hit by a mile. Then the third quarter comes, and it's a 40-point quarter. And I go, all right, it's done. It's out the window. I'm really honed in on Suns-Lakers, so I'm paying attention to it out of the corner of my eye. Uh, That's winding down, and I'm really paying attention to Hurricanes-Predators, which goes into overtime. That ends 60 seconds in. Now I'm locked in to the final six minutes of Denver-Portland. And it's tied at 91-91 at this point in time, under six minutes to go. So I need 46 points to cover my bet. A 92-point pace for a quarter, which again, seems like an insurmountable hill to climb, unless overtime's there. So I go, we got to keep it close. Let's just get into overtime and try to grind this out. Next thing I know, Austin Rivers, he's playing crunch time minutes for Denver. (laughs) Who knows how or why? He comes through, he's drilling threes left and right for Denver, and he puts them up. And I go, all right, I'm not going to hit the over today. This is kind of crazy. Austin Rivers is hitting threes, but whatever. Next thing I know, the Blazers, they start drilling some threes. CJ McCollum swishing one. Carmelo Anthony's risen from the grave, and he's drilling some threes. Now they're fouling the Nuggets, and they're making their free throws, and the Blazers come back and drill a three. And so now, okay, maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance. And we get down to the climactic sequence of the game. Uh, Facundo Campazzo the now starting point guard for the Nuggets. Just this little pest of a man, a little runt who runs around and does things that annoy everybody. He drills a free throw with 20 seconds to go, and now I'm within striking distance, which sets up Dame Lillard, the king of the step-back three, uh, the king of crunch time scoring. He drills a step-back three with 13 seconds to go to make it 116 to 112. It covers right then and there. I'm fist pumping. I think I've made the smartest and greatest bet in the history of the world. And it also gives me a great reminder of why gambling should be legal within the state of Utah, because it can make you root for one of the most memorable backcourts of all time, Dame Lillard and Facundo Campasso. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. 
am continually struck by the razor-thin margin between winning and losing in the playoffs. That's what Wednesday's show was all about. And that's a theme that I will continue to carry forward as we go into the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. It's so tiny, uh, this margin between your team winning and your team losing in a game, in a series, over the course of years, that it can drive fans and players and organizations mad. A large portion of this margin, this random chance, this playoff luck, is simple injury luck. It's getting the wrong injury at the wrong time on your team. It's playing against a team that gets the wrong injury at the wrong time. The entire history of every single sports playoffs is just littered with moments where a player goes down at the wrong time and it drastically changes the course of that team and the playoffs as a whole. As I was thinking about this episode, just off the top of my head, I I started coming up with a ton of things within the NBA playoffs over the course of my playoff watching lifetime that truly altered the course of the championship during that season. I think of Derrick Rose blowing his knee out when he was with the Chicago Bulls, when they were the number one seed. Uh, It drastically changed the course of the playoffs that year, and it changed the direction of Chicago's franchise because Derrick Rose was never, ever the same from that point forward. I think of Kyrie Irving fracturing his kneecap in game one of the 2015 NBA Finals, the first year that Cleveland and Golden State met. Uh, Kevin Love had already separated his shoulder earlier in those playoffs. And now it was LeBron and Kyrie against this blossoming Warriors team. And Kyrie goes down in game one. And now it's just LeBron on an island. And as it turns out, in retrospect, that could have been a really compelling and interesting series that Cleveland possibly could have won if they had had just those two players, much less those three players. We saw that come to fruition the next year when Cleveland beat a a much better and more seasoned Golden State team. Speaking of Golden State, I go back to the 2019 NBA Finals, another season that was drastically changed by injuries. The Toronto Raptors end up winning in Game 6, and the story, as much as it was Toronto persevering and Kawhi playing out of his mind and Kyle Lowry finally getting a championship and Mark Gasol and all those cool things that happened for Toronto, the story was as much about that as it was about Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles, Clay Thompson going down, uh, tearing his ACL, and the Warriors trying to survive through this litany of injuries. Uh, speaking of Kawhi Leonard, one of the notable moments within his playoff career is getting zazad against the Warriors in the 2017 Western Conference Finals. The Spurs are smashing Golden State in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, and Kawhi goes up for a jumper, and Pachulia does what Pachulia does. He slides underneath his foot, a foot that Kawhi had already injured earlier in that year. He rolls his ankle, and he's out for the rest of the series, and Golden State goes on to win with, with ease. Uh, Russell Westbrook tears his meniscus in the 2013 first round against Houston. Uh, it, it, it tears down partially this Oklahoma City Thunder team that had so much hope and optimism for what they could be in the playoffs. They were young. They were talented. They had their entire future in front of them, and none of that was ever realized, in part because of stuff like this, just random playoff luck. You know, you draw the short straw, and... Westbrook goes down at the wrong time. It sucks. That's part of sports, but it sucks when it happens to your team or to your star. Uh, Chris Webber tearing his ACL in 2003 against the Mavs. The year prior, the Kings had taken the Lakers to 
Game seven overtime in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, if you follow that series at all, it seems reasonable to think that Sacramento should have won with maybe slightly better uh, and less biased officiating. Tim Donaghy's famous game six was in that series. Uh, and Sacramento, I, I truly do believe, was the best team in basketball in 2002. And so in 2003, they're trying to build on that. And Chris Webber tears his ACL against the Mavericks in the playoffs. And that's it. Uh, the Kings, another team with a lot of hope and optimism that thought we are an NBA title contender and we're ready to realize that it's just gone. And they never won. And they never really contended again from that point forward. That's the playoffs. Uh, and they're always ripe with these injury questions with who draws the short end of the straw. I'm struck last night watching the Portland-Denver game. Denver is playing awesome basketball. They're now up 2-1 against Portland. And Jokic is going to be the MVP of the league. They traded for Aaron Gordon, who's a nice Swiss Army-style piece that a team like Denver can utilize. Michael Porter is kind of making a star turn. He's really starting to shine. And watching all of this happen, I'm struck by what would this team be with Jamal Murray fully healthy and not sitting on the bench with a torn ACL? What would this team look like with him in place of Facundo Campazzo? Uh, it's one of the, it would be one of the main NBA title favorites in this season. And instead, we're going, this is a cool story. Uh, Jokic is going to drag this team as far as he can, but it's too much for this team to try and win a championship in this year. It's just too much. They don't have the necessary depth that allows them to weather losing one of their best players and a person who is really, really shown in the playoffs as he did last year. I think about our local team here in Utah and the main question that's lingering over their first round series against Memphis, this Donovan Mitchell injury where he's been arguing with the organization because he was sat in game one out of uh, an abundance of caution, we'll call it. And then he comes back in game two and really provides an emotional jolt for the team and a scoring boost and allows that trickle down effect within the roster where people slide into their roles more neatly when Mitchell's in the lineup. He looks good in his limited minutes, but there's always that lingering worry of reaggravation or a slightly diminished version of that player. It's great that Mitchell's there, and for game two, that was perfect. But if we go into game three and Donovan Mitchell is still playing 26 minutes a night, and maybe he's slightly less explosive than he normally is, and he's slightly less uh, prone to get to the basket continually again and again and attack because he doesn't trust his ankle. That's a big, big factor within a series that so far the margins have been pretty small. Uh, it's a 1-1 series going back to Memphis for game three, and that Mitchell injury is going to play a big role in what happens for the rest of this series and for the rest of the playoffs. So when we think about these injuries and, and what goes into them, the Donovan Mitchell example is prudent. Because there was a lot of discourse around the injury and, well, the team was trying to protect him, but he wanted to play and his own, uh, his own medical staff was saying he was ready to go and fans want him to play, but is it worth risking the future of the franchise? There's all these things that go into something like that. So uh, a quote from Sam Amick of The Athletic comes to mind when I think about this entire injury discussion. More often than not, it's an organization's decision to rush a player back into the action rather than hold him out because of an abundance of caution that inspires criticism. That was the case in the 2019 finals, 
when Kevin Durant's Achilles tendon tear in Game 5 against Toronto raised questions about whether Golden State should have let him return from the calf strain that he suffered late in the Western Conference semifinals. To the Warriors' defense, Durant has claimed all along that he doesn't question the team's decision. End quote. So this is an interesting part of the whole injury discourse. We want star players there, uh, and teams need them there. And yet, when it goes awry, as it did with Durant, we don't want that. So it's trying to find the balance between needing a hobbled version of that player versus doing additional damage to that player. You know, Kevin Durant in those finals, that was the worst case scenario. Uh, you rush him back, and it seems like that was tied into an injury that kept him out for a year and a half of basketball. And yet, You'll hear from every professional athlete, you're always going through something, especially in the playoffs. It's impossible to play a lot of regular season games and then these, either, these even more high-intensity, high-leverage playoff games that are more physical and not be dinged up in some way. Uh, so you try to find the balance. What is this hobbled version of the player going to give us? Uh, is it better than what we have on our bench? And are we going to do additional harm to that player? So that's what teams are faced with. How do you adjust to this specific dynamic of a playoff series? Uh, how do you adjust what your team does in order to incorporate this different version of a player? So now we arrive at a first-round series that is coming down to injuries. The Lakers versus the Suns, one of the most compelling first-round matchups of the NBA playoffs. And it has been a series that is about injury luck, which again is a large portion of playoff luck. It's this LeBron James injury versus this Chris Paul injury. Uh, LeBron James is somebody who I have followed throughout his entire career. I've watched every meaningful moment of his career. Uh, and he goes down with a high ankle sprain in March against the Atlanta Hawks. I'm watching it here. It's on a sleepy Saturday afternoon game. I don't have the sound on. It's on a different television. And I'm just noticing something going on and I see him down on the court and then I'm seeing the replay and I go, oh no, that's going to be a high ankle sprain that'll put him out for a while. And indeed, it puts him out for a while. And now we're watching LeBron and he's back on the court. But it's a different version of LeBron James. It's a very different version from what we're used to because this version of LeBron is hesitant to get into the key continually. There's a lack of driving to the basket uh, and shots in the paint compared to what we normally expect from LeBron James. Him at his highest point, this playoff LeBron that is always referenced, it's that highest level physicality combi uh, combined with the highest level mental processing, this supercomputer brain that LeBron has when it comes to basketball. And this version of LeBron currently, what we saw in the play-in game against Golden State and what we're seeing through three games against Phoenix he really is reliant upon that computer brain and much less so upon the physical aspects of his game. This continual getting to the basket within the playoffs and stressing a defense, forcing refs to give him fouls, forcing a defense to collapse so he can find open three-point shooters, and really stressing a defense over and over in a way that sooner or later that defense will break. That's what playoff LeBron brings to the table. And instead... It's the supercomputer version of LeBron that is trying to get by as a point guard. 
in the truest sense. The guy who is dictating the terms of the offense from the perimeter. And he still brings this high-level passing and this high-level mental processing. But he's not continually getting to the areas of the court that we're used to him doing. So how do the Lakers adjust to this version of LeBron? That's the first question that they have to go through, especially after game one when they lose in Phoenix. And LeBron scores 18 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, 3 steals, 5 turnovers. If you watch the game, it was by LeBron's standards below average. Uh, And he really didn't dictate the terms with his physicality. And so the Lakers coming out of that say, it's hard to make an adjustment that just says, LeBron, we need more from you because it seems like you can't trust your body. So the adjustments have to occur elsewhere. Anthony Davis, who was atrocious in game one and who is healthy, you got to play better. You have to be our best star on the court until LeBron can get back to the version of himself that he can be. And even if he can't do that, like AD, you're going to have to carry us in these playoffs. And the Lakers say, all right, we know that AD can be that. And we know that we can play championship level defense. So these are the two things that we're going to have to rely on as LeBron tries to find his footing. And even with this division or this diminished version of LeBron, we still see him rising up in the biggest moments. I mean, game two, he hits two of the biggest shots of that game. A turnaround teardrop on the baseline that was just as pretty as anything you'll ever see. And then the dagger three out of a pick and roll where they go under and he just walks into a three that seals the game. So LeBron can still bring a lot to the table, but it's a different version of LeBron. And it's definitely not the maximized playoff level LeBron that we're used to seeing. So the Lakers have to adjust. So we go into game three last night. Series is tied 1-1. Lakers are playing at home. There's a lot of intrigue going into this game, especially for me as a LeBron fan. I go, "Ah, is this just the version of LeBron we are going to get throughout these playoffs because his high ankle sprain, that's a legit injury. And by all accounts, when you have that injury, you can't really get better from it until you have a long extended period of rest. And that's not afforded in the playoffs. So now we're watching LeBron try to come to grips with, all right, this is what I am. And if I can get to the rim, I'm going to have to really pick and choose my spots because I don't have that explosive first step that people are used to seeing from me. And I don't have that continual drive to put my head down and dump truck people right under the basket. He just hasn't been playing that way. So the first half of game three plays right into the Lakers' hands. It's The teams combined for 83 points in the first half. Uh, the Suns scored 12 points in the second quarter. And if you know Laker basketball with LeBron and AD, you know that they shine in these grinded-out playoff-style games because they can rely upon star power to get buckets, sometimes in a very ugly manner, as was the case in this game, and they can rely upon the best defense in basketball, which they relied on to a great extent last night. So they come out in the third quarter, and that formula is what boosts them to victory. It's LeBron and AD combining to score 28 of the Lakers' 33 points in that quarter. They outscore the Suns by 10. And this gives them the window that they kind of use to coast through the rest of the game and win going away. 
In that third quarter, LeBron is noticeably more active getting to the rim than he has been at any point in the series. He was really making a concerted effort to, all right, I don't have an explosive first step where I'm immediately around my guy, but I'm just going to force a defense to respond to me getting there. And he's scoring more. He gets 10 points. AD's doing the exact same thing at a more efficient clip because he's the real 100% physical version of himself. He's getting to the rim at will. And they place a ton of stress upon Phoenix's defense, and, and they can't really hold up against that. And so now we're looking at the Lakers after this game. They're up 2-1 in the series. And they're relying upon the formula that won them the championship last year. But it's slightly different because it is about star power. Anthony Davis has been phenomenal in games two and three. He's been really active and really aggressive getting into the paint, forcing the Suns to respond to what he's trying to do. And the Suns are fouling him or they're getting scored on at the rim by Davis. That's what he's done for two straight games. And yet the other half of that star equation, LeBron, we're still getting a slightly diminished version of what LeBron is in the playoffs. After that game one performance in game two, 23 points, nine assists, four rebounds, two steals, one turnover. Again, a very nice game by any playoff standards, except for playoff LeBron. A dude who we know can just swallow a team whole. Game three last night, 21 points, nine assists, six rebounds, one steal, seven turnovers. Very sloppy passing from LeBron. And as I was watching this, it really struck me that it seems like Phoenix has honed in on the fact that LeBron is not the traditional version of himself. And through the course of two games going into last night and the film study that accompanies both of those games, they're realizing he is not going to be attacking the basket as much as he normally does. And so we can play defense accordingly. We can sag off a little bit. We can try to jump passing lanes because we know that first and foremost right now, LeBron wants to orchestrate an offense strictly through his passing from the perimeter. And the Suns were jumping a lot of those passes. That's where the seven turnovers come from. That's where this sloppy effort from the Lakers in general kind of came from. It looked like they were aware LeBron is a different version of himself. And so we are a smart defensive team who has a lot of active, long defenders. And so we can play against them like that. So now the other half of this injury question in the series that is really shaping what Lakers Suns has been so far. Before I get to that, I'm going to read a quote about LeBron James from Dave McMenamin of ESPN. James, age 36, scored on five of his seven drives to the hole on Thursday, according to research by ESPN stats and information. The stat was significant not just for the control it gave L.A. over the momentum, but also for the contrast it was to games one and two when James had just two drives to the hoop, scoring one. This is a quote from James. Obviously, it's been a rough year on me as far as physically with my ankle and dealing with that and still trying to get it where it was before the injury. But every day is a step forward, and I'm going to continue to put the work into, my, into with my treatment around the clock getting it to where it was before the injury, end quote. Different version of James. One, two drives to the hoop through two games. Uh, and only seven drives to the hole on Thursday. If you've watched James, you know this is so different from what we normally see from him. And yet he is still finding a way to affect a game. 
because the hobbled version of James still provides a lot of value, as we're seeing. Those numbers that I read, they're not playoff LeBron, but they are not insignificant. And they're really not insignificant when margins between a win and a loss within a game and a series are razor thin. So the other half of that injury equation, and one that has drastically affected his team uh, at a much more significant level than what is happening with LeBron and the Lakers, is Chris Paul, who has had atrocious injury luck in his playoff career. Uh, His hamstring injury in 2015 with the Clippers, it submarined their chances. It actually gave us probably the most memorable moment of Paul's playoff career when they're playing the San Antonio Spurs in Game 7 of the first-round series. And Paul hurts his hamstring in that, and he's playing literally on one leg in that fourth quarter, and he hits this incredible step-back three to win the game, and he's just hobbling around. It was just everything that you think of when you reference what it is to gut it out in the playoffs and what it is to do everything to try and make your team win. Uh, Chris Paul in that series, and really in that game seven, that's what it was. Uh, He fractures his hand in 2016. In 2017, his injury luck extends to someone else on his team, Blake Griffin, who fractures his foot against the Jazz and really submarines their chances within that series. Paul's hamstring flares up again in 2018 with Houston when they're up 3-2 in the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors, and he misses the last two games. They lose. That's been Chris Paul's career. Uh, Playoff failure and really rotten injury luck. And so in game one of this series, he goes down with a shoulder injury, tangles up with LeBron. You can tell something's wrong. He's on the ground looking at his arm like it's a part that's detached from his body. And the Suns end up winning the game, but Paul is a very diminished version of himself for the remainder of that game. And it's noticeable. So the question going into game two Is this a stinger that he can kind of overcome or is there more significant damage? And this is really going to hamper Phoenix's series or Phoenix's chances of playing and winning in the series. In game two, uh, we see a really, really diminished version of Chris Paul. Game one, he finishes with seven points and eight assists in 36 minutes. Uh, Stark contrast to his regular season numbers. 16 points, 9 assists a game. You know what you're getting every single night from Chris Paul. Game 2, he only plays 23 minutes. Finishes with 6 points, 5 assists. Uh, He's altering his shooting motion. So you can tell the shoulder is an enormous issue. He's really struggling to get zip on his passes that he's whipping around. They're just these little pop gun passes that are floating up in the air, which are candy from a baby for the Los Angeles Lakers defense, a team that is really built on size and speed and length and and can just swallow you if your passes are floating in the air. So last night, the Suns are hopeful that, okay, maybe it's going to be a little bit better. And and it looked like it was within that first half. He was getting to his spots that he wanted to get to. He was hitting some of his mid-range jumpers in a way that Chris Paul normally does. And yet as the game wore on, uh, and really within that second half, he was gravitating towards this really hampered, injured version of Paul. He goes scoreless in eight minutes in the second half after he had looked a lot better in the first half. uh, As as Phoenix's offense is swirling down the toilet in game three in that second half, uh, they need what Chris Paul provides. It's that star combination that the Lakers rely on with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Phoenix relies upon a similar theme. Paul and Booker 
getting shots for themselves and for others, and really, really within the crucible of a playoff game, being relying upon those two to score and create in isolation. And when one part of that equation either can't play or when he plays, he is not himself, that's going to hamstring a team's chances within the playoffs. He finishes game three with seven points and six assists in a total of 27 minutes. And it's just, it's rotten playoff luck. It's rotten injury luck. It's one of those unfortunate things that provides the razor-thin margin of winning and losing. Uh, Chris Paul hurts his shoulder in game one, and that's playing an enormous role in in what has happened so far in the series, the Lakers being up 2-1. That's just sometimes what the playoffs are about. That's what I reference at the top of this show. Every single year, there are multiple injuries. And you hope it's not to your team, and you hope it's not to your star, but without fail, it will happen to some buddies and certain teams. And unfortunately, right now, the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul, they're drawing the short straw. So this is a quote from Ramona Shelburne of ESPN. The story of this series thus far has been Paul's shoulder injury, not the Lakers regaining their championship form. This is a quote from Paul. It is what it is. You control what you can control. I know I do everything on a daily basis to prepare myself to be ready to play. When things happen, they happen. You got to overcome it and get through it. End quote. Uh, Some of those words within there, they're a great summation of of why it's a little bit absurd that will extract significant meaning from playoff series and for certain players and really stamp them for their entire careers. When things happen, they happen. (laughs) You control what you can control. Those two sentences, they ring really true to me, the amateur golfer, as I've said multiple times on this show. But the flip side of that is you can do those things perfectly and there's a ton of stuff you can't control. You can't control when you're going to get injured. Uh, and when it happens, that it just sucks. And that will genuinely shape your team's chances. And it will somehow reflect upon your playoff legacy. So that's what we're seeing with Suns-Lakers. Uh, injury luck is playoff luck. And I want to end the show with a side note. As we think about these razor-thin margins of winning and losing... And how, as much as we always want to claim that everything is about the star players, it's also about these things on the margins. Uh, And as I watch this series, and as I watch the game last night between Suns and Lakers, I really think about the supporting cast and how interesting it is that the supporting cast will never really get the full brunt of public criticism, and yet they have a strong say in who wins and who loses a series, and in turn, what our perception is of the star players within that series. So as I'm watching the game last night, and as I've watched all three of these games, the person who's really stood out as a solidifier of this concept is Jay Crowder on the Suns, who is currently a great reminder on how absurd it is that the playoffs always, without fail, reflect upon star players. Because Jay Crowder is currently two for 20 from three-point range in this series. He has been atrocious. And because of this extended shooting slump, it is creating a problem for Phoenix. One, he's just not making shots. But two, 
it's making it significantly easier for the Lakers' defense to do what they want to do, which is hone in on taking away the other team's strengths. Paul is already a diminished version of himself. And so now, in last night's game, they go, all right, we don't have to pay as much attention to Paul as we want, or as as we know we would have to if he were not injured. And Jay Crowder, he sure as hell ain't going to do anything because he's two for 20 in this series from three. So we feel more comfortable helping off of him. And now we can really put the full brunt of our attack towards Devin Booker, who goes six for 19 last night and is really consistently swarmed throughout the night by the Lakers' defense. And Devin Booker, he struggled greatly. He was six for 19. He didn't get to the spots he wanted to get to. He made bad decisions. He, he just generally seemed like he was out of sorts. And part of that is on him. And part of that is on the simple fact that when your players don't hit shots around you, it creates a different atmosphere for the opposing defense. And they can really hone in on what you, the star, is, you're trying to do. And so that's what I want people to remember uh, as we continue to watch the playoffs. And really, when you want to make grand sweeping proclamations about uh, Devin Booker, he didn't provide what was needed within this series. And if the Suns go on to lose, we can look back at the box score and say, oh, he was six for 19 in game three. He must have played terribly. And oh, he was really good in game one. Oh, what do, how, do, how do we make, how do we take meaning from these, these box scores? When you watch the game, uh, just remember, playoff luck, it's injury luck. We're seeing that play out in Suns-Lakers. We're seeing that play out in other series. Denver, Portland, Memphis, Utah, everything. Uh, Playoff luck, it's how your stars perform sometimes. It's Anthony Davis being atrocious in game one. It's Anthony Davis being awesome in games two and three. That's why the Lakers are up 2-1. And last but not least, even if those two things align perfectly, playoff luck, it can simply boil down to what we're seeing with Jay Crowder. It's just whether or not your supporting cast hits wide open shots. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.